Rob <laughs> finished this set, and he was, yeah, he had told me, he's just like, just can't, I'm just struggling to land it. I just, you know, and he finally comes up with these three songs together. He goes, I feel like these are like right on point because, you know, he's talking about the promised land and stuff this morning. I'm like, oh, yes, but we're landing on disobedience today. So it's just, <laughs> but we're going to go through the promised land first. I'm going to need a little access to my, if I could just, so that, yeah, you know, I'm a little clumsy, so you don't want any of that expensive stuff nearby. So we are here in the middle of our never-ending story series, taking a look at the Bible as uh, one story, one complete story, understanding what God reveals about himself through Scripture and then uh, what it re- uh, reveals to us about Jesus, how it points to Jesus all the way through from the beginning to the end. And so, uh, Vaughn, if you could help us, here is where we have been so far. Um, we started with creation, and there, of course, the, the cre- creation culminating in the creation of man and woman, the fall that big term, that big theological term with only four letters, uh, the fall of man, the entering of sin into the world, to the flood with Noah, to the Tower of Babel, the call of Abram and Sarai, how they're renamed Abraham and Sarah, uh, his descendants, uh, Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, Joseph being sold, then uh, all of the Israelites, the, the, the family of Jacob and all the sons, going to Egypt to be saved from the famine. And then... All those years later, being oppressed by the Egyptians, and then the Exodus is where we left off, where they were uh, brought out of that slavery to the Egyptians, and they crossed the Red Sea triumphantly. And so as this beautiful story has unfolded so far, we see that we still have a long way to go. But don't be nervous. We have a plan. Don't anybody be nervous. Uh, We see how God has been revealing himself piece by piece and how um, even when the name of Jesus isn't explicitly mentioned in these stories, his coming and our need for him is woven all through these pages right from the beginning until the end. Uh, Like I said, Pastor Ethan, again, happy birthday, has left us triumphantly crossing the Red Sea last week and now the Israelites, all they have to do is just go and take hold of the promise, take hold of the victory that has been given to them, the actual promised land known as Canaan, which is, by the way, my oldest daughter's name in Amharic, Canaan, the promised land. You are the promised land. She's going to kill me later. Uh, a la- also known as a, we call it the land flowing with milk and honey, like just an incredible place that was given to the Israelites. Um, and this was their promised inheritance from the Lord, so let's go. So they marched up to the border, and then they promptly turned around, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years instead of taking a hold of it. Can we see that? I just want to show it to you for, real quick so you understand them coming from Egypt down to Mount Sinai where the law was given going up to um, places that I'm not going to try to pronounce for you now, and then literally looping for 40 years through the wilderness before they went to the promised land. What is happening here? (laughs) So I I think today, if you possibly can, it would be great for you to have a physical Bible in your hands. If not, grab that YouVersion app and make sure that you can see the index pretty quickly. Uh, We are going to be covering a lot, and then we're going to kind of head back into the big themes of these stories and get a way fuller picture of what's going on. Um, I even put into the, I put, what I'm about to go through is in the YouVersion app for you to reference if you want to. You can actually save it for later. So that's just YouVersion, and then more, and then events, and then you can find our event live this morning. 
I know this is pretty ambitious when you see what uh, Adam just <laughs> put behind me here, but don't be nervous. I'm excited. So get your finger in the index of your Bible so that you'll understand kind of what we're talking about. You'll have a reference point to go back to if I talk too fast. This is going to be like auctioneer for the next few minutes. And um, I'm going to just tell you what's happening in this span of Scripture, and then we're going to come back and land in it. So in the Exodus where we left off last Sunday with the Red Sea and Moses and all those kinds of things, the Lord delivered his people from slavery with mighty signs and wonders. So that was chapters 1 to 15. And he brings them to Sinai, chapters 16 to 19. He tells them that they are to be his kingdom of priests and a holy nation unto him. And then he confirms their kingdom status by entering into a covenant with them as their king. And, um, and giving them kingdom laws for them to follow. So this is uh, chapters 20 to 24 in Exodus. But that's not all. He, he is not just going to be a king who tells them what to do and leaves. He's going to be a king who is near them and dwelling in their midst. And that is why he then proceeds to give them very specific directions and instructions for his tabernacle, his earthly palace. That's chapters 25 to 31 and 35 to 40 in Exodus. So this is what is going on here in the book of Exodus. Oh, I know you're already excited what's going to happen. I know. Is it just me? So all of this leads to a very burning question if you are an Israelite. How in the world can a holy and pure God, the God of the universe, dwell among his sinful and impure people? How can he live here with his holiness, not melting us in our sin and impurity? And there is a very specific answer to this question, and that is Leviticus. Okay, so Leviticus is um, explaining the sacrifices that are going to address sin and enable them to worship the king of this kingdom that he set up with them in the right way. So that's the first few chapters of Leviticus. He provides them with priests to intercede on their behalf, to lead them in worship. He gives them laws to teach them how to deal properly with impurity. That's chapters 11 to 15. He provides a yearly ceremony to remove every last ounce of sin and impurity from the kingdom. That's chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. And he provides a whole series of laws in, order, uh, in other areas of their life to direct them how to live as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So uh, that's what's happening in the book of Leviticus. And then in the book of Numbers, we have the story of them wandering in the desert for 40 years like you saw on that map. What is with the wandering? If you don't know this story... They came to the entrance to Canaan, the promised land. And Moses sent 12 men to spy out the land. And then 10 of them came back and reported that it would be actually impossible for them to beat the Canaanites in any kind of war and have any kind of victory because they are gigantic. And we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And we can never do this. And two spies came back and said, yeah, that's true. Let's go. We got this. God's got us. And so um, that was not pleasing to God. Uh, so those two spies, you guys, if you went to Sunday school, we sang this little song. You know what I'm going to do next? We would sing like 10 were bad and two were good. Right? This is this story that we're talking about here, these spies. So uh, Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, who you're going to hear about again, um, they come back and say, yes, they're gigantic, but God can absolutely do us. This is his promise. But the Israelites said, no way. It wasn't enough for their, their testimony wasn't enough for the people. So they rebelled and they didn't trust God for that. And so they were punished with 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, one year for every day that the spies were in Canaan. And a whole generation would die off before they would be allowed to enter the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. 
And even Moses himself didn't get to go into Canaan because of his own disobedience. And so the book of Deuteronomy actually is really a recording of the final speeches of Moses to this new generation of Israelites who had uh, been wandering but uh, were not part of the disobedience. So plus Joshua and Caleb because they get to go too. Um, so this is the, the book of Deuteronomy records these speeches that Moses gives to the people. And then, really cool thing, if you want to look back at it later, Deuteronomy 34. Moses goes up on a mountain. God brings him up there, and God shows him the promised land, says, this is, this is the promise. You're not going to get to go in, but this is the promise. And he dies there, and it says the Lord himself buried Moses. Another cool way. We talked about Enoch back in June. I mean, that's just another cool way to go. If you're gonna, nobody knows where his grave is because God himself buried Moses. And then, uh, then we have Joshua, who, is, uh, who has been Moses' right-hand man, takes over for Moses and leads the Israelites. And I have to read the scripture to you from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, because it's amazing, and you should have it highlighted in your Bible. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Thank you, Adam. Verse 4. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. We didn't really anticipate the, the wind. That, that was not here when I was practicing this. I apologize for interrupting the word here. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Be strong and very courageous. And so Joshua begins to do just that. When Joshua takes over, they begin to conquer the promised land. This is where the story of Jericho, them walking around the walls. We sang, we sang that, like we alluded to it this morning in a song, walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall. That's an allusion to the first book, the first little part of Joshua here when they go and they conquer Jericho, the first city in the promised land. And then when Joshua died, the Israelites had conquered most of the land, but not all of it. And this was a problem because the Canaanites uh, who worshipped other gods would have a devastating effect on them, a devastating influence on the Israelites. And God had warned them that this was going to happen if they didn't completely purge them out of the country. He said, he said, they need to be destroyed. They're so wicked. They're so evil. And I want you to do that. And they didn't. They decided the Canaanites weren't so bad. They intermarried with them. They worshiped their gods. And instead of taking the victory that God so clearly had promised to them, they just stopped conquering the promised land. And the result of that for them was that God allowed them to be conquered by their enemies. And then Judges tells about a lot of this period where um, one by one by one, judges would, uh, would be raised up by God. They were individuals who sort of acted like a military leader and a civil ruler over the people. And they would come and lead the people to freedom. Uh, they literally were called judges. They... they um, 
while the judge was leading them and had helped them conquer, get out from underneath whoever was oppressing them at the time, when the judge would die, do you feel the need to, like, help? Like, just to, yeah. Does it feel scary? <laughs> You're going to double it up? Yeah, I like it. Seriously, guys, I practice these things in midweek, but I did not have the air conditioning on when I did it, and now I know. It's like with the markers, guys, okay? It's just like I'm, we're having a marker moment here. It's a little inside joke. I practice with that. Um, and so what happened with the judges is that the people would act right for a period of time when the judge was over them. The judge would die. Things would go right back. People would, it, Scripture says over and over again, people did whatever was right in their own eyes, and it was a giant mess. And they over and over and over again, a judge was raised up. They acted right for a while. The judge would die. They'd go back to doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And it's in this period that the book of Ruth is written. So if you're reading the book of Ruth, this is, uh, we're not going to be chronological going forward, uh, but just so you know, that's when the book of Ruth, that story takes place. Then we have the book of first and, books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, Samuel is uh, born and then dedicated to the Lord by his mom, Hannah. We obviously, uh, often talk about this when we talk about child dedication. He's dedicated to the Lord, and he grows up to be a prophet, and he bridges the Israelite people between the judges and their first king. And what happens also now in these books is that uh, people start to beg God to give them a king. Thank you, Adam. People beg God for a king because they want to be like the nations around them. And they're like, all the other, we have judges and we have you, but we really want a real king. We want a throne room and a palace and we want all of those things for ourselves just like the nations around us. And so Samuel says, this is such a bad idea. And God says to Samuel, yeah, it is, but um, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. Give them a king. And so Saul is anointed as the first king of Israel. God then rejects Saul um, as king and because of, because of his disobedience. And then David is anointed as king. And there's a lot of tumult between Saul and David. But eventually David is crowned king of all 12 tribes. And he reigns for a total of 40 years. And in, the, in all of this, this is all happening in verse 2 Samuel, a lot of our psalms are written through a lot of what's going on here. Not all of them, but a lot of them are written in this time period. And then 1 Kings tells the story of the next king of Israel, who is Solomon, David's son. And during the time of Solomon, uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, a lot of this was written in the time of Solomon. Probably, probably he wrote most of it, we're pretty sure. And then after Solomon, the kingdom divides. Ten tribes of Israel get together and they become their own kingdom. We call them Israel. Two tribes of Israel get together um, and they become the kingdom of Judah. So we have Judah and Israel. So when you're reading through the book of 2 Kings... You're going to see it talks about the king of Judah does this, the king of Israel does this, the king of Judah does this, the king of Israel does this, and on and on it goes because we have a divided kingdom. And then we have the books of Chronicles, which um, you're, if you're reading Chronicles, you're like, these stories sound familiar. That's right, because it's still the same time period as First and Second Kings, but it sort of focuses more on a religious history of Israel um, and telling some parts of the story that weren't told in Kings and that kind of thing. So you get through uh, more and more focused on a religious history of the time of the Kings, and a lot of crossover happens there. So you're not going crazy if things start to sound familiar when you get to Chronicles. And then what's up next is, of course, we have um, gone literally all the way from Exodus to Song of Solomon. <laughs> You're welcome. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And if you didn't understand a word I said, like I said, it's in version for you. You could just go back and follow through. 
Up next, we have the prophets and the exile of, out of Jerusalem and out, out, of, um, out of Israel that happens next. And we're going to save all of that for Pastor Erin next week. Um, she's going to take us all the way into the Gospels, which is going to be a fantastic. But let's, uh, but let's get into what all of this means for us today with our guiding questions, which are, what does all of this reveal to us about God? And how does it point us to Jesus? That's what we're trying to find, that seam through, that, that how it's woven through scripture and all of these things and all of this history and all of this writing. And we could probably stop in about a million places anywhere along this timeline and answer these questions. And there will be so many answers to both of them. But when you really take a 30,000 foot view and you look at this section in biblical history, all the stories, all the writings... The same thing keeps bubbling up to the surface over and over and over again. God establishes rules and commands and laws. Then people refuse to obey them, go their own way. And the consequences are disastrous. Over and over and over again. Some of them are natural consequences. It's just what happened when they didn't do this thing or another. And sometimes um, it's God coming in and saying, you have lived in disobedience and wickedness for too long and there is a consequence that I'm going to bring to you and God judges them for it. So you may wonder then, why does God even establish law at all? What's, what's happening here? Why does God um, give us laws? Are we setting, is he just setting us up to fail? Are we in some sort of never-ending test where we can't put one toe out of line or God is just ready to come and smite us? Like that's his whole game here. He sets things up that are impossible for us to do and he knows the heart of man and he does this anyway. Um, and what does this reveal to us about God if not that he is impossible to, to please and he's created a broken system? You may have that, I, that thought. I know a lot of people do. Like, are we not just set up to fail? But I want you to think about it like this. I'm sure that every one of us, I don't care how old you are or what your stage in life is, I'm sure all of us have kids in our lives, whether your own kids or nieces and nephews, siblings, cousins, childcare, campers, like whatever. Think about any kid you know in your life. I want you to think about, maybe tell me, what are some of the rules that you have imposed on them? Even if it's campers, like they don't have to be your own kids. Think about it's like every day, if you come here for Malcolm's Day Camp, which we used to, we ran for many, many summers, every single day the kids would come up to the front, they'd sit around with Miss Margaret and the leaders, and they would have their list of five rules they would have to say over, and I don't even know what they are anymore because I blocked them out. It was like every morning. Uh, it's something about like, don't cross the red line. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a special red line. Uh, there's things like, you know, don't play in traffic. What else do we tell our kids? Eat your broccoli. If not, you're not leaving this table. For me, it was always drink that glass of milk. And then I would let it go warm. And then I would cry and gag. As I was, my mom was like, mm-mm. You did this to yourself. You should have drank it at the beginning when it was cold, Right? Yes. My mom is like, right. I'm still, I still stand on that. I still stand on that. Uh, there are so many things that you, like so many things that we tell our kids they can and cannot do. So many rules are imposed on them. Don't eat that. Don't touch that. Don't go too far. Don't wear that. Whatever. It depends what age they are. Uh, like all of these things that we say to our kids, the kids in our lives, the kids to keep them safe. Why? Because you care about that child, Right. You care that, that they are safe, that they are cared for, that they have what they need. 
And so you have to enforce rules for your benefit. No, it's annoying and horrible. It's for their benefit, isn't it? That you put boundaries around. It makes complete sense. I mean, the same thing happens for us as grown-ups, if you think about it. That's why we have speed limits. We have laws. We have a lot of laws, actually. There's boundaries around us to keep people safe. If you care about a child, you give them what they need to be safe. And you enforce the rules for their benefit. And you know that also, in, in tandem with that, one of the best things you can do as a parent or a caregiver or someone looking after a child is to catch that child doing something right. Do you know what I mean? You're just like, I, I remember many times being in the car on the way home from something and saying to my kids, you guys were so polite, or you had that chance to say something so embarrassing, and you didn't. I'm so proud of you. You know, like, they, you just chose really, really well in that scenario, you know, or whatever. Just finding a way to say, hey, I know that was really hard for you, but thank you for not um, talking back to me, or whatever. Like, just finding those moments to say, I, I know you struggled, and I saw that you cho- how, how you chose, and I'm choosing to catch you doing something right, and enforcing that, and blessing that behavior. That's also something that I'm sure um, all of you who take care of kids do because you're all excellent people. And that, to me, is the picture. It's, it's, not, it's not God setting us up to fail with a bunch of rules. To me, this is the picture of what God has established for us. Of course, it's on a way bigger scale than hold my hand and don't play in traffic. But so many of these laws that were given were for the people's safety and protection. There's been some really interesting books written about this topic if you're interested to go a little deeper. One is a really old book, but I think probably still holds up. It's called None of These Diseases. Um, and and it's, it really talks about some of the, especially the food laws and cleanliness laws of, the, of what was given to the Israelites. They didn't know about germs. They didn't know about um, the things that we know microscopically now to keep us healthy and safe, but God knew. And he set so many of these things up that now, looking back, you can see how he was protecting just literally their health and safety. Many more of the teachings, uh, many more, sorry, more, many more of these laws uh, would teach us how to live in, a way, in the way that we were created to live, in, in the image of our creator. So here's what this kind of looks like. Here's, here's some ways that you can live so that you will live in the way that I've created you to live. That's the heart behind it. How to be holy. How to uh, relate to his perfection. How to know God. How to walk with God. How to be in relationship with him. And then the rest of the laws can maybe be summed up by saying um, they're given as a way to put things right when we inevitably do it wrong. When he, inevitably we're going to fail And God has gave a bunch of laws for sacrifice and all of those things to help have our hearts and our relationship put right with him again. So hear this. Built right into the first set of commandments was a way to make it right when we got off track. Right from the beginning. God knew we weren't going to be able to live up to it. These are important laws They matter, they help us, they keep us safe, they keep us in relationship with him, but inevitably he knew we're not going to be able to live up to them. So built right into the beginning was a way to make it right. And to me, when I look at this, the scope of what's happening here, God's love and mercy, even the the continual sending of judges, God consistently hearing the cry of his disobedient people when they turn back to him and continually saying, okay, let me me send someone else to save you. Let me send someone else to come in and, and rescue you. 
His love and his mercy jump off the pages again and again. He knows what's best. He knows what's required to be like him and to be holy. And he also knows it's not possible for us to live up to it 100%. And it's very, very frustrating. It's, it's the most frustrating thing about reading through the sections of Scripture is reading how often all of God's laws that were created for us, for our benefit, how it's totally disregarded by the Israelites over and over and over again. And it's so cringy, as they say, the kids these days. It's so cringy. The kids are like, no, we don't say that anymore. That was five years ago. We don't say that anymore. It's so cringy. It's so hard to watch. It's like, guys, you see the consequences when you disobey God. Oh, what's wrong with you? Except that when you think about it, it also hits very, very close to home. When God says, listen to me, do what I'm commanding, obey my law, and I will bless you like crazy. I will give you victory on every side. I will bless your children for generations. He absolutely does it. And if you're paying attention in these stories, he's just looking for every opportunity to bless. Every opportunity to see a heart that's turned towards his. Every opportunity to reward faithfulness and humility and a heart that is trying to follow his ways. Even when they do it imperfectly, that's not the point. The heart that's postured towards him, he blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses. And the people know this. They see it. It's written down for their record. And they choose to do the opposite thing, and then they wonder why everything in their lives is falling apart. You see, God isn't being a judgmental dictator. He's being true to his part of the covenant. Remember the covenant Pastor Aaron talked about? He's being true to his part of the covenant. He gives everything that is needed. He gives the grace to make it right when we get it wrong. But he can't and he won't ignore sin. He won't ignore the sin that we choose, the decision to live contrary to his commands. He can't and he won't. His holiness is awesome. And drawing near to God is not something to be done flippantly. It's intentional, and it requires more than we have on our own, far more. And so, because of that, because God wanted to be in relationship with his creation, he gave the law to bridge the gap, to allow the people to be near to him, for him to be able to dwell among his people. And then knowing that this was not going to work forever, wasn't going to last forever. That was never the intention. All of it was just to fill that gap until Jesus. Jesus. The law was temporary. It was a revelation of God's holiness and his standards. It had the opportunity for his people to know him and to dwell with him. And then Jesus came and fulfilled the law and the prophets, Scripture says came and fulfilled the law and the prophets and gave us a far better way to do what the law was setting up but couldn't do perfectly. Hebrews 9 says that the tabernacle, remember back here we talked about the setting up of the tabernacle and the elaborate instructions for that. Hebrews 9 says that the tabernacle that the Israelites were instructed to build was an illustration of what was to come. It says literally that the Holy Spirit was illustrating what was to come by the building of this tabernacle. That this wasn't ever intended to be forever because the real and true and heavenly tabernacle was still 
to come. That Jesus would give us access to the true and eternal tabernacle. He was going to be the one who completely and forever opened a way for us to be holy and in right relationship with him. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I know that that's a lot to chew on. Pretty much all of Romans is, so just, you know, you can go back and chew on that later. But God gave the law, and it is beautiful, and in what it reveals about his character is beautiful and remains beautiful. It, re it reveals his nature, his desire for us to be able to draw close to him. But because of our sinful nature, remember the fall in Genesis 3, it was never going to be the final solution. It was a picture of what was coming in Christ. Jesus became our sin offering once and for all, freeing us from the law that we could not live up to. But now the righteous requirements of the law is fully met in us, Scripture says. Because we did it so well? <laughs> nope. Because of him. So we are free from sin and given new life in the spirit, not the life we were born into, that sinful nature in the flesh. We are given new life in the spirit. That's what we're moving towards. That's what's being revealed to us in this beautiful word. But we still have a cho the same choice that the Israelites have. We can now uh, live in obedience to the law of the spirit or the commands of Christ, the things that Jesus taught us, the things that we're called to do as Christ followers. We can choose to live in obedience to that. Or we can ignore him and go our own way. See, we're at a different spot in the timeline of human history, friends, but the choice is very, very much the same. There are still eternal consequences for sin. Justice from God, punishment from God, separation from God for eternity. And there is still blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing for those living in obedience to his words. Those things are con consistent in his character. And so we come back to these stories and ask ourselves again as we see ourselves reflected in this Old Testament timeline of disobedience and punishment, obedience and blessing, and how all of it is fulfilled now in Christ and, and the law that we could never live up to has been fulfilled completely in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so through him we can be righteous. Understanding this and living in that allows us to live now in a place of eternal blessing and relationship and communion with God. So we ask ourselves the question, again, we come back to that. Do you need to make that choice for yourself? That you no longer want to live in disobedience or against what God has created, against his law. But you say, you know what? I actually want to live according to the way that Jesus has been teaching. Maybe you've been listening to us for a long time here at our church. You hear what we're saying about Christ you all of, and all of those things. And you're saying, I want to make a choice to follow Christ. The time has come for me to make a decision whether I'm going to be in or out. If that's you, this is your morning. This is your morning. 
Maybe you've made that commitment before, but you have walked away from it. Maybe, maybe you're like in the time of the judges, you know, kind of understanding it and then doing your own thing and then understanding it and doing your own thing. And it's time for you to say, no more. I'm not living under this law of sin and death. I understand who Jesus is. I'm going to fully commit my life to him. I want to do it his way. I want to learn about that. I want to dig deeper. I want to recommit to this life in Christ. Or maybe for you, uh, there's a specific area of your life that you have to, uh, you've been disobedient in, just frankly. There's a specific area in your life where God has been saying, putting his finger on something and saying, you need to, this, you know that this has not pleased me. You know that this is not what I've commanded. You know this is not good for you. You know whatever it is. Pastor Ethan talked about this last week as well. Maybe there's a specific area in your life and you need to surrender it, ask forgiveness, be, and become free of that sin. And you know what it is. If that's you, you already know exactly what I'm talking about. It could be a lot of different things. But if the Holy Spirit is putting that on your life, I want you to think about this timeline and what Jesus has provided for us. And choose to walk in the blessing and the victory that's been provided in Christ. And not this cycle of sin and death. And for some of you, you're like, that sounds incredible. I have no idea what Jesus taught though. I'm ready. Like, I want to know. <laughs> I just, it's, I like it. I'm in. I get it. I like the blessing. I'm all in. I just don't really know what that is. Welcome. Like, there's, that's no problem. We have resources. I mean, just stick with us on Sundays. We try to teach what Jesus said as much as we possibly can. We have a course on our website. And if you go into, under our next page on our website, literally called The Commands of Christ, to answer this question, one page at a time, going through the things that Jesus commanded in the Gospels. So many things. So if you want to learn what it means to follow Christ, what it is he asked, what it is he taught, like just let us know and let's, let us help you walk through that. And this morning um, as we close, this is the perfect moment to answer any of those questions, to make a decision for Christ, to recommit your life to Christ, to, to finally lay down the sin that has, been, that has been dragging down your spirit and you want to be free from, or to, to, to commit to saying, I want to learn about what it is that Jesus commanded me. This is your Sunday to do that. This is your moment. We're going to go into communion. And in this communion service, literally what we are going to do is, is we're going to pause for a moment we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts as scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 11. If you want to turn there, we're going to read from there in just a moment. We're going to ask the Spirit, according to the scripture, to search our hearts, to let him judge us, to bring anything and to show us the things that would need to come into alignment, that need to be asked for forgiveness for, to make our hearts right so that we come to these emblems together with hearts that are right before him. And so if, if you need to make a decision, this is the actual perfect moment in the life of the church. This ordinance of the Lord's Supper. When Paul is teaching the Corinthians about communion, he's actually correcting them because they're doing some things that are not cool. And then he says, listen, I want to tell you what you need to be doing when you come to this table. And this is what we read about in 1 Corinthians 11. He says in verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. And so we want to listen to the instruction of Scripture and say, we are so grateful, Jesus, that you came and fulfilled the law we could never have fulfilled on our own, no matter how many rules were in place, no matter how many times we came back to the Day of Atonement, it was never, ever going to be enough. It was just a picture of what was to come. And all of that picture, Jesus, was fulfilled in you. And I see it, and I'm so grateful that all I have to do this morning is to come to you with a heart that is humble, listening to that voice of the Spirit that's pointing out that thing in my life that says, this needs to be confessed so that I can forgive and you can come to this table in a worthy manner. The scripture says it like that. The NIV says it like that. In a worthy manner. And friends, there is nothing you can do on your own to become worthy. That's the best news ever. (laughs) There's just nothing you can do to become worthy. Jesus did that for you. And so your job this morning is to just come with a posture of heart that says, Jesus, you are worthy. You are righteous. Your holiness. And somehow, the mystery of the gospel is that you have done that so that I could be holy. So that I could be righteous. So that I could be perfect. And I could be forgiven and free. And I receive that gift. Even if I I know I can't deserve it. Jesus, your church worships you. Just hearts full of gratitude because whether we came into this place far from you, not knowing who you are, or having served you um, all, all of our lives from every place that we came in here this morning, you are ready to receive, you are ready to heal, you are ready to forgive, you are ready to offer grace and mercy. There's no place that we can come from that you say, just wait, fix yourself up, do this or do that. You just always receive us just as we are. And so we're so grateful. What a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? This is the cry of our hearts this morning, Lord Jesus. It's all because of you that we are even able to stand in this place. You're the reason that we gather. You're the reason that we've prepared this service and and signed our names up and, and sat in these chairs and taken these emblems. You're the reason for all of it. You're the reason for our song. You're the reason for our devotion. You're the reason that we get up in the morning and know that we're free. You're the reason, Jesus. And so our hearts worship you and honor you. We love you so much. And we pray now as your disciples, again, as your body pointed, understanding we are connected to the head, each and every one of us. We we look to you and ask, Lord Jesus, what would you have from us next? Help us to be obedient. We don't want to be like the Israelites wandering around for 40 years. We don't want to be in a cycle of disobedience and and redemption. We we want to walk in obedience. We know we're not going to do it perfectly. But God, we, we want to walk in victory and obedience. We want to receive every day the things that you have done for us. We want to we want to grab onto that victory every single morning and walk in the power of the and the life of the Spirit, as scripture says. 
So what would you have from us next? That's the cry of our hearts. How would you want us to wake up and, and be your hands and feet and be your body in the world tomorrow? Um, what things in our lives do we need to set aside for the cause of Christ? We are listening. We are looking. We are, we are right here at the elemental truth of what you've done on the cross for us. And we remember that our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price and we belong to you. And so together as your church, we dedicate ourselves again to that to being whoever and whatever you need, how, how you want us to, to walk through the world this week, how you want us to speak for you, how you want us to minister for you, whatever it is, Lord Jesus, your church is listening and we will listen and obey you. Help us. Help us when we're weak. Help us when we're, we don't feel strong. Help us when all of the situations in our lives and circumstances seem to come against us. Help us to understand and remember back to these emblems that take us straight to the heart of our faith. Jesus, we look to you, we rely on you, and we look for everything we need for life and godliness from you and our knowledge of you. We thank you for your great, great work of grace and love on the cross for us. And we pray these things in the strong and mighty name of Jesus and his church said, amen.